Good afternoon, everyone. This is Jim Minnery with Family Matters. Thanks so much for joining us today. Very glad to have you here on a beautiful, sunny Wednesday, May 13th. Welcome to the show. Uh, Today we have uh, the privilege, I have the privilege, of interviewing John Stenberger, and he leads the Florida Family Policy Council. He's a colleague of mine that's been in the uh, pro-family movement about as long as I have, and um, going on, wow, now it's 2006, um, you know, 15 years or so, more than 15 years. And uh, so I would encourage you uh, to go to the Florida Family Policy Council, not necessarily because you're going to have an interest in uh, all things Florida, but because uh, John is involved on a number of different issues um, uh, on a national level. He's actually a guy that started the uh, trail life movement. He was a former uh, high-end or high-up board member of uh, the Cub Scouts, Boy Scouts of America, and then ultimately, as you know, uh, the the Boy Scouts... Boy Scouts made the unfortunate decision to include not only uh, self-identified gays um, in the Boy Scouts uh, themselves, but also to have leaders that were also uh, self-identified as homosexual and even have gone so far as to take out the name boys when it comes to Boy Scouts and just call them scouts because now you can, of course, have folks who identify as boys uh, and girls uh, are now doing that. And so anyway, John um, was instrumental in starting uh, the Trailside Movement, which is a uh, wonderful uh, organization that is biblically minded. You can go to Trail Life USA uh, and it's an adventure character building organization uh, that is uh uh, biblically based and is everything that uh, the Boy Scouts used to be. Uh, anyway, John is going to be our guest today here in the final three segments of Family Matters, and he's a fascinating individual and has all sorts of insight on national issues, including what's going on with COVID-19 and uh, Christian leadership in a post-pandemic world. Uh, he's led the charge, really, uh, nationwide in uh, allowing or or giving the resources necessary for churches to reopen, for churches to handle the kind of um, things that only churches can handle uh, and during this uh, COVID-19 crisis and has really been a blessing to the movement. So go to flfamily.org. That's uh, John Stenberger's website. Uh, But anyway, he'll be on the, the final three episode or segments of the show. Uh, we do, as always, want to do a shout out to my friend Cortland Rieger over at Rieger PT. He's um, been a faithful, strong supporter of Family Matters and the Ministry of Alaska Family Council, Alaska Family Action. And we could not do uh, what we do without the support of folks like Cortland Rieger and Rieger Physical Therapy. That's RiegerPT.com. Um, And so we encourage you to um, visit their site. Uh, We also encourage you to go to our site. We can't do this show without Cortland Rieger. He has specific um, donations that he provides monthly to help us uh, put this show on 
air and through podcasts. And so we are very grateful for that. And if you are interested in, in what we do as an organization, you haven't signed up yet to our website, go to akfamily.org and you can sign up and you can also make a donation there because uh, certainly uh, running a ministry uh, takes resources. And uh, we're very blessed to have been around for as long as we have to put forth voter guides and uh, educate the public uh, about what it means to have biblical citizenship. And one of the things that uh, that includes is elections. And I do want to kind of encourage folks early on to be involved uh, in identifying races in your area Early, we're going to be doing that ourselves as a ministry. And uh, in fact, I just got back from Homer and the Kenai Peninsula, visited some friends and and colleagues and folks who are running for office, folks who are in office. And what we what we always realize is that every election cycle is an opportunity. Sometimes it's seen as a threat as well, uh, because folks who have self-identified as conservative Christian thinkers and and leaders um, in the legislature are uh, targeted by those on the left. And and it's very much the case this time around as well. So we'll be going into great detail um, throughout the course of the summer leading up to the August primary and the November election. But I guess what I want to be able to to uh, remind folks is that you can't get involved too early. There are races in your area, whether they're a state race or a school board race or a local community council race. Uh, identify those people, and we we do that as well through our voter guides. And if there's not a voter guide available for your particular area, contact Alaska Family Council. Go to akfamily.org, sign up for our alerts, or you can send an email there and say, hey, here's, here's a race coming up in our part of the state, and uh, we'd like to get some more information about these candidates. And, and even if we don't produce a full-fledged voter guide, we should be able to provide some insight in terms of uh, who is allied with our organization, at least, and you can be involved early because uh, I don't think that uh, it's going to be, um, it, it is going to be unlike anything that we've ever seen as a country and as a state in terms of campaigning, uh, because knocking uh, on doors is going to be much more of a challenge. And events obviously are not even uh, considered legal, I believe, at this stage right now, any size event. Uh, Although that has been opening up a little bit across the country, has been here in the state. Some some churches, I believe, are opening this coming weekend to a limited degree. And so uh, even though there will be some opportunities for fundraisers and for you know, public gatherings, what candidates who are allied with you that you want to help need more than anything else is just uh, boots on the ground in terms of, you know, stuffing envelopes and uh, making phone calls, which will be a huge part of the campaign season this year, more so than ever, because of it's one of the ways that folks uh, get involved. And you can even do a Zoom conference, you know, setting that up for a, a candidate. Uh, and 
anyway, so identify those those places uh, in in your little community. Even uh, you know, there's going to be some obviously state and federal races that are taking place that are applicable to everyone in the state of Alaska. So maybe that's something that you're more interested in. But in any event, get involved early if you can and don't be overwhelmed by it. So just take on aspects of someone's campaign that you think are uh, you're most likely to be able to fulfill as, as a promise and, and uh, they need the help. And as we elect pro-family, pro-life people into the Alaska legislature and into local government bodies, uh, God is glorified and, uh, and good things can pass, can come to pass in, in terms of policy and we can transform culture. So be a part of it. That's my call for uh, this first segment is to be a part of it and be a part of it early. Anyway, I want to thank you again for joining us. We'll be right back at, after this first break uh, with John Stenberger. He's the president and chief counsel. He's also a, a private uh, lawyer in private practice and has lots of great insight in terms of the family, pro-family movement, where it is at now, where it's going, and, and all sorts of good things that are happening from the great state of Florida and beyond. So stick around, folks. We'll be right back after this short break, and thanks for being there. Jim Minnery with Family Matters, and if you haven't signed up yet, make sure you go to our um, our website, akfamily.org, and sign up for our alerts. We send those out periodically, and you can get all the updates regarding what's going on legislatively in the state and uh, culturally, some of the issues we're working on, and I'm very blessed to have my buddy John Stemberger on the line. He is the president and general counsel of the Florida Florida Family Policy Council. John, thanks so much for being here. Jim, it's great to be with you. Yeah, just really, really uh, pleased to be able to chat with you. We have um, we are such uh, we're so blessed as a movement to have you in in uh, in the lead on so many different things. I just I don't even know where to start in terms of. Um, how many different areas that you've tackled nationally, and but we always like to make it a little bit more personal and get folks in line with uh, um, where your journey, how your journey has brought you to where you are now. So give folks an idea of who John Stenberger is pre-Florida Family Policy Council and leading up to where we are now. So in 60 seconds, uh, my background and training is as a lawyer, and I was minding my own business making an extraordinary amount of money in a small law firm that I owned and operated when folks in the family 15 years ago said, hey, we need to restart the policy council in Florida. And uh, through a process of kicking and screaming and uh, resisting, the Lord just showed me I'm supposed to do this, and I was created to do it. And I'm making probably a third of what I was making before financially, but I feel like I'm doing exactly what God created me to do. And that's a very freeing thing. So I'm just uh, thrilled to serve in this capacity to advocate for life and marriage and family institutions and conscience and religious liberty issues. Well, why why is it that and this is a straight out question? Why should Christians engage in public policy? We've we've heard the um, Dr. Grudem piece, you know, or read it in terms of the five wrong views um, about uh, government and Christianity. What's the right view of government and how Christians should engage? Yeah, that's a great uh, question. 
And I, it reminds me, the answer to it reminds me of a piece in the late Dr. Francis Schaeffer's Christian Manifesto. And he says that the biggest mistake that we make is we see life as bits and pieces instead of as an integrated whole. So well, I think when the lights come on for people is when they see that politics affects policy, policy affects the culture, the culture affects the gospel. And so it's a continuum. It's not, oh, keep politics out of here. It's like everything affects everything. And so the people's view of law and policy is a direct reflection on what they think is right and wrong. Um, and, and now we're seeing many, many things are a hindrance to the gospel. I mean, think about all the horrible sins and just horrible things that young people's lives are bogged down with where they're not even able to listen to the gospel or even listen to the possibilities of another idea. They're just so confused and in such a deep state of deception about even something as simple as, are you a boy or a girl? Um, and so I think that um, that's the reason policy matters, because policy is the bottom line. It affects our paycheck. It affects whether dad works or gets a welfare check or is out of work. It affects whether people live or die, and policy affects our dinner table. It affects everything that we do. Why is it that we've had such a difficult time um, convincing uh, Democrats to come our way on some of these issues? I know that in uh, you know our friend Gene Mills in Louisiana has the privilege of having – I don't know if it's a majority, but it's a large percentage of Democrats who are are strong pro-life advocates, including their governor, John Bell Edwards. So why is it that we can't seem to turn that ship around? I think there's a couple of reasons. The structural reason is the Voting Rights Act, uh, the Civil Rights Act that took place where basically um, it was required that minority districts had to be cut out. So now the districts, when they're redistricted every 10 years, are very partisan. And so you basically don't have a lot of districts. You either have districts that are, because of gerrymandering, either very Democrat or very Republican. That's one reason. The second reason is just everything's become polarized. Everything has become political. Everything has become charged. The battle of good and evil and right and wrong wages just so much greater than it ever did before. Uh, think about this. I mean, just... You know, a couple of decades ago, like every institutional society understood and agreed on, on what a marriage was, what a man and a woman was, you know, what, uh, what you know, these kind of basic assumptions about uh, and facts about human sexuality. Now, everything's up for grabs. I mean, every, every institutional society, without exception, banking, the military, the Boy Scouts, they've all gone in the can and bought into the lie and the deception that sex is whatever you say it is, and somehow that's a fundamental right. And so we're seeing the roots of civilization are simply vanishing by every institution of our society almost overnight. And so for all these reasons, I think these are the answers uh, to your question, really. That's weird. I brought up a guy last year to Alaska named Michael DeLance Thomas, and he he's an African American uh, that wrote a book called Why Christians Can't Be Democrats. Uh, it's a fascinating read, a short read, and um, the idea was that we were trying to convince, uh, you know, some some of the African American folks in um, in our state uh, to vote for um, U.S. Senator uh, Dan Sullivan as opposed to Mark Baggage. 
um, or, or to, you know, basically um, convince African-Americans that the, that the party has left them. And, um, you know, the, the, the fact is that there are some uh, organizations. We interviewed uh, one lady who heads up the uh, pro-life San Francisco group, and she's a atheist, vegan, Democrat, radical, environmentalist, LGBT nut, but she's also radically pro-life. So it seems, uh, at least on uh, on that issue, um, as we you know, we also brought up Katrina Jackson, who who uh, is the legislator now, senator from Louisiana, and um, tried to make that same case about uh, why Democrats can and should be pro-life. But we just have, I think there's two, one in the House and one in the Senate, Democrats uh, that are with us ever. I don't know if it's what the case is down in Florida. How, how do your Democrats? Do you have any that are bold enough to uh, to to carry the pro-life mantle down there in Florida? Yeah, so great question. At a federal level, it's pretty it's pretty strict. You cannot get out of a primary uh, on a federal level if you're pro-life or pro you know uh, pro-choice or pro-abortion rights. On both parties. In other words, you have to be pro-life to get out of the Republican primary. You got to be pro-abortion to get out of the Democratic primary in most states. And then once you get to Congress, almost every person has been beaten into submission. There's a, maybe a few, but at a state level, there is more ability. We we find that we have some Black American Democrats that are pro-life, uh, and some of them are even good on the, the human sexuality issues. Um, but uh, that's different at a state level. There's just more freedom there. We find with minorities, it's just been really amazing to see how they're willing to stand up for life. So it's different on a state level than it's on a federal level. The challenge that we've had is that, you know, and I have pastor friends that are African-American that, uh, that are very much with us on all of our issues, and yet they still stand strongly with the Democrat uh, candidates, generally speaking, and with the party, um, and it's just an ongoing conversation. I mean, you know, we're actually having to learn to reestablish some of those relationships because, you know, according to some of my friends who are those pastors, they said that was a little bit more of a, a poke in the eye than they wanted when we brought up this guy from out of state the, to say why you can't vote Democrat um, if you're a Christian. Um, that that hit a nerve, and so we're having to you know reestablish those relationships and really you know just continue the dialogue because uh, from their perspective, you know social justice issues. Although I was reading the other day, I can't remember where, but um, you see justice a lot. Um, the word justice in scripture, but you never see social in front of it. Um, God yeah. is very concerned with justice, but the social justice movement is something entirely different, isn't it? Yes, it is. And it's almost become a bad word uh, where the left has basically co-opted it. Um, and it always stands for something that's leftist, something that's against biblical values and something that is really in opposition. We, we hear the scripture Woe to you when men call good evil, evil good. Uh, not all, but a lot of social justice thinking is just kind of appealing to young people. Or, or it just appeals to things that are non-controversial, like human trafficking, which is a horrific evil. But no one's for human trafficking, you know? So it's a, it's a light lift, right? It's not like That's right. defending the institution of marriage, which is very divisive but very clear in Scripture. So, um you know, it's, it's kind of designed to be more appealing to millennials today 
um, and that kind of thing, racial justice, those kinds of categories. Again, there's some legitimacy to all these categories, but to make them central or primary above and over things that are crystal clear in the scripture, I think is, is wrong. Uh, I mean, is your sense now that uh, that the younger generation um, is, you know, obviously uh, more in tune and uh, and okay with discussing uh, in church things like um, the environment and sex trafficking and some of these other issues, even poverty, uh, but is still sort of resistant to the standard marriage slash life religious liberty issues is. Is the, I mean, there's obviously great examples of, of that not being the case, but what is your sense in general about that? I mean, um, actually, before before we have that's a that's a deep question. So we have a, a quick break that we have to take first. Um, but folks, stick around. We're going to be um, continuing the conversation with my friend John Stemberger at the Florida Family Policy Council, even if you're. Actually, there's there's Alaskans that get down to your area in the winter, just like they do in Arizona. So there's there's connections that people have all over the place with Florida and Alaska. But go to um, flfamily.org or just do a Florida Family Policy Council search, and you'll find wonderful things on on John's site. So um, anyway, stick around, folks. We'll be right back with the uh, the second segment. With when peace like a Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Family Matters. I have John Stenberger on the line uh, with the Florida Family Policy Council. And we were just talking about some of the challenges related to younger, the younger generation. I mean, the, you know, the teenagers up to mid-20s. And, you know, there, there's a, a sense, and I've heard it from some younger pastors, that uh, they're okay with, with uh, certain issues. Um, that they maybe don't deem as political or at least political negatives in terms of, you know, the environment and uh, and racism and what they might be called the social justice issues. But everything is really politics in terms of all, all politics is is just a process for engaging and getting things done. So it it, it really is, um, you know, uh, a false dichotomy to say. We can talk about this one issue because we don't consider it political, but this one we do. John, what's your take on that in terms of young, the young generation and how uh, how receptive they are to carrying the mantle of issues of religious liberty, marriage, sanctity of life, those issues? Yeah, so um, I think that it's not much different, but it is different. Uh, and it basically boils down to they want to be popular. Uh, you know, I have a commencement speech that I give, and it's called Standing Alone. And I open and close the speech with this question. When the time comes, are you willing to stand alone for what you know is right? And so this is the issue. Even within Christian young people, um, they don't want to be seen as radical. They don't want to be seen as being on the outside of the mainstream. They want to be accepted. And so this is a danger because you cannot speak for truth in a society where everyone's lying to you about something. Uh, unless you're willing to stand alone and, and to do that. So I think it's unfortunate. They just want to be popular. And so anything that's controversial or perceived to be controversial, uh, even if it's self-evident in our human experience, like what is a yeah. man and what is a woman, suddenly becomes a political issue. And, that, and that's the way we get out of it, right? Even churches do this. Everything's politicized. Now, now even COVID's politicized, right? Everything is about politics. And so churches go, oh, that's about politics. You know, we can't discuss that. It's like, no, that's 
that's in the Bible. It talks about husband and wife being man and woman. That's not a political issue. That's clear moral issue, a clear human experience issue. And so I think that's what happens is that just now I will say this on the life issue, we're winning. And I think we're winning because of the ultrasound, because people see that's not a duck. That's not a blob of flesh. That's a baby. And it's pretty clear what's in the womb. Can't lie about that. And so I think we're winning that battle. The polling is showing us that young people are more and more pro-life every year. And so that's exciting. But on other issues, especially as it relates to the many, many, many issues touching human sexuality, transgenderism, uh, contraception, all that sex education, all that stuff, uh, all, 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 we're losing the battle there, sadly, amongst the general society and young people as well. And, you know, that's strange because we went through the sexual revolution in the 60s. We went through, um, you know, it, it, it's strange to me that we we can't seem to uh, to crack that nut, as it were, in terms of uh, having the younger generation realize that uh, the importance of a mother and a father. I mean, you only go back to Barack Obama, who who led the fatherhood initiative, and you you read some of that stuff. I've done that to liberal friends to say, what do you think about this these statements? And I read it, and ah, I don't know about that. Well, guess who wrote that? That was Barack Obama, because of his you know, understanding uh, at the time, at least the, the critical nature of fathers. And, um, but yeah, you're right. We've come to a place now. And I, I don't know if, uh, you know, you hear that from some people, you know, that ship has sailed in terms of the marriage issue. We address this, you, you have in your state, we have in our state. And yet um, a lot of people say, you know, that, that issue has been resolved and, you know, my take on that always is that's what they said in 1973. I mean, the front page of the New York Times was that, you know, the Supreme Court resolves contentious national issue regarding abortion. And then wherever I'm speaking, it doesn't matter if they're pro-choice, pro-abortion people um, in the crowd. I say, how many people in this audience can actually raise your hand and say that abortion is any is resolved? Of course, it didn't get resolved by that Supreme Court decision, just like it didn't get resolved in Obergefell. But how do we move forward um, as a movement other than people saying, you know, culturally we have to, we have to, um, you know, let people understand, give the culture an understanding of how important biblical marriage is. But what can we do policy-wise as policy councils regarding marriage right now? There's, there seems to be a little bit of a, um, you know, a, a, a lull, as it were, in that issue. What's your take on that? Yeah, um, that's a great question. I I don't think that we can do civilization without marriage and family structures. I think we should never, ever concede, never give up. You know, every year, I mean, there was just a New York Times article on this. The marriage rate is dropping. It's dropping radically. Every year, less and less young people are getting married. They're delaying marriage for some legitimate and some illegitimate reasons. But it's just, and, and then at the same time, the cohabitation rate of people just living together is skyrocketing. Like, and so you have these two charts going the opposite direction, and the gap in between those two lines is societal instability, is more foster care, is more uh, Department of Children and Families, more funding, more welfare, more social net, more, and more instability in society. Marriage and family structures are literally the way we organize a society, and that organization is being ripped apart. And so I think that we can never uh, concede these issues. I think eventually the pendulum is going to swing so far 
that somebody's going to wake up and say, oh, my God, this is crazy. I mean, it used to be marriage was like something girls and young men would just think about and dream about and say, okay, yes, I aspire to that. That's wonderful. And now you say marriage and it's like gay or straight, right? So, again, marriage has been politicized. And so that's a very unfortunate thing. But I think Christians and, and people who are serious about uh, goodwill in society can never give up these institutions. We have to fight for them, uh, argue for them, and, and, and argue as to why, because they are the answer to, to a stable society, not, not even talking about the advancement of the gospel, which is a whole other issue that, that affects that as well. Well, that's a great point. I mean, one of the interesting things that we talked about in our movement back, uh, you know, in June of last year, there was a study that came out, I think it was USA Today, that said the young are regarded as the most tolerant generation. And that's why the results of this LGBTQ survey are, quote, unquote, alarming. And it talks about uh, the 18 to 34 groups being, um, you know, uh, maybe not as pro LGBT uh, you know, friendly as the elitists and the LGBT act- activists would like uh, uh, them to be. And I wonder if that is, you know, it's like the game of risk when you, you put so much into one country that you become vulnerable. I don't know if, you know, if uh, the, the, the young generation is just seeing too many rainbow flags and just saying, you know what? We don't, we're not going to be duped on this because they're trying so hard for people to accept. Is there something, is there an opportunity um, there? I mean, that, that's definitely more of a secular angle on it, but it seems as though it's not a fait accompli that the younger generation is absolutely full lock, stock, and barrel in with the LGBT movement. Well, we have seen polling that the pendulum is swinging back amongst the whole society. And they're seeing that They've been lied to. It's, you know, the whole thing about, oh, we're just two guys and we just want to live together in peace, kind of a libertarian, leave us alone, get the government out of our lives. We're saying that's not the agenda. The agenda is, in fact, we want to force our lifestyle down your throat and get you to agree with it and celebrate it. And if you choose not to celebrate, then we're going to punish you literally with fines and with jail time with some of these sexual orientation, gender identity laws, these quote-unquote non-discrimination laws, human rights ordinances that are being passed in cities and counties and even in Congress with the, with the Equality Act that's being pushed. So, so I think, you know, I think we are seeing a change in that. And I think especially the transgender issue, Jim, that is radically rocking people's world because it is destroying women's sports where men are just dogging women because they're inherently stronger and faster swimmers, faster runners. And they're taking the scholarships and the awards that should be going to women athletes. I mean, why in the world would a young lady train her entire young adult life to compete if she knows a dude's going to come in and then smoke her out in college or the Olympics or whatever? So I think the pendulum swinging on the transgender issue where people are seeing the madness of it all and realizing, golly, I mean, even in the U.K., they just banned transsexual surgery, gender reassignment surgeries for minors because they realize it's harmful and it's so associated with suicide and depression, uh, not not to not have it as associated, but to have it is not good for their patients. So they're actually pulling out of the UK. They're seeing this because it's been so radically promoted and it's, it's an epic failure in terms of human flourishing. 
Wow, that's fascinating. I mean, um, you know, it, it's weird because yeah, you always look to uh, across the pond at, at, at things that you don't want to emulate or that will be coming our way soon. That's one we think we would like to have come our way soon. And you know, we have a, a, a local um, a, a local assembly member here in the, in Anchorage, our biggest city, that is going to introduce uh, some conversion therapy bands. Um, and so maybe we'll talk about that uh, for a few minutes because that's going to be coming up in our community because we had not the greatest election cycle uh, a month ago. And so um, I want to get your thoughts on conversion therapy. And I want to talk to you about Donald Trump um, because you have a, a piece in the Christian Post that a lot of folks are talking about. So, folks, stick around. We'll be, we're going to have one final segment with my friend John Stenberger at Florida Family Welcome back, Jim Minnery, with another episode of Family Matters. Uh, we're on Apple Podcasts for those of you listening on the radio station and uh, for for those of you listening on the podcast, if you want to listen on the radio station, we're on KVNT 1020 uh, AM. So um, take a listen. Also, make sure that you, uh, if you have aches and pains, go to Rieger Physical Therapy. That's RiegerPT.com. Our friend Cortland Rieger over there is exceptional in his craft and also a strong ally of the things we're talking about, which is uh, which includes this whole conversion therapy uh, issue. John, we have uh, an Anchorage assembly, which is made up of nine liberals and two conservatives in the great state of, or great city of Anchorage, where I reside. It's the biggest city in the state of Alaska. About half the population or more lives here. And uh, and yet we have nine out of 11 of our assembly members are, are radical liberals. I think three of them are open um, LGBTQ members. Uh, and it just shows that uh, the power of unions, a lot of that has to do with the unions and, and the um, negotiated contracts that happen. And uh, on the local level, and all sorts of reasons as to to why we can um, you know cry uh, a river over why our city is so liberal, but the reality is um, they are going to be introducing a conversion therapy ban, which um, you know is is controversial in this country. But the the reality is even our friend uh, Jonathan Keller in California was able to at least put that on the back burner for a while because of a movement of people that came forward and uh, testified from across the country and the openly gay representative in California put that on hold, at least temporarily. We think it's obviously going to come back and and uh, and will likely, but at least the stories that were, were told by the individuals who said, were it not for um, that counseling that they had received regarding their same-sex attraction or gender identity confusion, they likely would have committed suicide. Um, and so that touched the individual. And it wasn't just about, you know, shocking people into becoming uh, heterosexuals or, or you know, ice baths and all the nightmare stories that we hear. This is about two willing individuals uh, one who wants to uh, address uh, a, a challenge that they have with a same-sex attraction or gender confusion, and another individual who has some ability to walk them through and talk them through that. What a bizarre thing. It reminds me 
of COVID, uh, the situation right now in, in some ways, and that you have a willing buyer and a willing seller, but the government's saying, nope, can't, can't happen. Um, and that's what's hap- going to happen if this passes, which it likely will, given the nature of our assembly. So any thoughts on the uh, conversion therapy thing? What's, what's the status of that in Florida? Yeah, so it comes up every year, and we fight it every year. It's stunning to me that you think, think about two men. Two young men, age 16, going to the same counselor. One young man says, I think I have a same-sex attraction, and I don't like it. I'm here, and I want help. I think it's wrong. I think it's sinful. The other young man says, I have a same-sex attraction. I want to give into it. I want to give full expression to it. These laws are saying that the first boy can't get help when he says he wants help, and he doesn't want the same-sex attraction. The counselor can only help the other boy. And so it's actually utter madness because it violates several principles, violates the principle of the confidentiality in the law. There's actually a privilege where you can't talk about uh, things like attorney-client privilege. It's a counselor-patient privilege. Um, For a pastor, even when pastors give counsel, there's a pastor-parishioner privilege. And then also there's the cone of silence, the the principle that the counselee, one who's paying for the services, whether they're a minor or not, is in control of what the agenda is. I mean, you can't go into a counseling session. The counselor says, no, I'm going to tell you what your issue is. And, and the, if a person comes in and says, I want help with X, a drinking problem, whatever it is, the counselor's duty is to help that person with the problem they come in with. So it's just craziness, and it's just very sad that it's basically the government getting into the counseling room and trying to regulate and chill the free speech of counselors. Uh, and no. they're becoming very successful at doing this. I think it's going to pass here. It'll be interesting to see uh, how that plays out. Uh, You know, we'll have to start galvanizing the troops now, uh, the Christian counselors. And even you would think that there would be secular councils that would have um, an issue with that, um, you know, with integrity of their profession. I mean, it reminds me of that uh, that scene. I think it's in Stripes where Bill Murray says, you know, we're not homosexuals, but we are willing to learn. Um, it, it, it's some line that he's basically it, – it's back in the early 80s, late 70s, whatever it was. But it's – so if someone wants to uh, – that feels that attraction, then they have every right to have counseling to walk them, like you said, right through – to to how that plays out, but on the other side, it is uh, it's going to be um, illegal, and that's it's it's truly it's truly shocking um, that we've come to that place. But again, I think that part of it is uh, when they go too far. And people start to see the rational uh, or the irrational way that these are these are being played out in public and in culture. Maybe that turns some people. Maybe the reason uh, that some people are turning on some of these issues is because the other side is going so far and actually helping us. Um, but it's not anything to celebrate, that's for sure. And, and it's likely going to um, take place in our great community of Anchorage. But um, Switching gears here, John, you, you've started, uh, among many other things, but this COVID church aid pastoring through a pandemic, we have it as a slider on akfamily.org. It's been a remarkable thing to witness and um, and to use as uh, as a resource. But walk people through just from the 30,000-foot level what uh, – 
what that site is, obviously we now are transitioning slowly into opening up again, opening the doors and reopening the church. So give us an idea of COVID church aid and, and uh, wow, what a response you've received um, in doing this and, and give us kind of that, that, uh, that high level of what's going on. Yeah, so there's many ways in which this COVID crisis has affected churches and religious nonprofits. And we've created a website that has resources on every problem you could imagine. It has all the information about applying for the CARES Act, the $2 million, $2 trillion, and excessive $2 trillion funding now with the second allocation where churches and religious nonprofits like the ones we run can actually apply for this aid. It's actually a loan which then turns into a grant. And there's also multiple videos and training resources from all over the country, the best resources in the country of how churches can reenter and open, reopen again, uh, you know, do it safely uh, and, and wisely as well. So that's been a great site that's been used all over the country. Um, and we're just uh, thrilled that we were able to provide covidchurchaid.org. And what's your take right now? I mean, you, you see folks that are uh, divided, uh, even in the movement, uh, that we're both in, uh, in terms of, you know, going after governments, uh, in terms of lawsuits, uh, that are preventing churches from opening. And then you see others that are going all out, uh, to, to ensure that churches can do what they need to do. And there's obviously a cultural element or a, an element of, um, you know, being an example uh, uh, to the community and, and is defying a government order being an example, but at the same time, uh, listening to a government mandate that's unconstitutional is also setting an example as well. So, I mean, w w if you have someone now as an attorney and family policy council director, they call your office and say, and they're a, a senior pastor, uh, John, should I open uh, my church's uh, uh, doors uh, regardless of what the governor uh, of Florida says? We had, a, we had a webinar that discussed this very topic for 90 minutes with questions, and the answer is just depends. It depends on how big your church is, how many people you have, how many elderly people you have. Do any of people in your church have, have the COVID virus or had it? Um, it depends upon uh, – and the other thing is this. You may have an understanding that this is a joke and, oh, it's not that big of a deal and we need to develop herd immunity by not wearing masks and all that, but – 70% of your church believes the opposite. It really doesn't matter what you do announce, announcing open the church because they won't be coming. So, so it's, That's right. it's kind of a tough to get out of your normal mode of decision-making that's top-down and actually be sensitive to people uh, and, and what their understanding of the truth is, even if it's not right or wrong because perception is reality for them. And so, um, yeah, it's going to be a different world for a little while. We're just going to have to make some changes regarding – you know, and it's interesting as we've looked at this issue, communion, baptism, I mean, just children's church, I mean, laying on of hands, altar calls, every part of the Christian experience is about physical proximity with other believers. And so right. it is a real challenge for Christians, I think, even more than Buddhist or uh, Islamic faiths or Hinduism, because in those faiths, you can actually express your faith and achieve a state of nirvana or, or moksha apart from the collective and the temple. For Christians, it's meant to be together. I mean, the Christian life is not meant to be lived alone. So it's much more challenging, I think, in Christianity than it is in other faiths. Um, but we try to challenge – our, our website at covidchurchaid.org talks about extensively how churches can uh, navigate those 
and become fully functioning again in the more of a normal way. Wow. Well, as always, we end up going too fast through these segments. And folks, go to covidchurchaid.org and then just go to Florida Family Policy Council. There's unbelievable resources. My good friend, John Stember, what a pleasure to have you on. God bless you, brother. I'm hoping to see you soon. We get together uh, throughout the year. This has been a little bit different, but um, can't thank you enough and uh, love you, man. All right. Take care, Jim. Peace. You bet. God bless.